This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, a podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portio. My name is Andrew Carroll. And this is a momentous episode because we are returning for the first time to an actor we've already covered on the show. Um, she's definitely a scream queen, arguably the queen of goths too. It's Mia Goth. Let's get gothic one more time. And uh, returning to the show for a second time, talking goth, and I think fourth time overall. Fourth time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot that was three, and then I forgot the other barber. You did the two barbers. <laughs> the two barbers. Yeah, I knew there was a third one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The two barbers coming to HBO. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the great Katie McGrath. Welcome again. Thank you for having Welcome me, Stephen. Welcome, Welcome back, Katie. I'm the third person now. <laughs> Delighted. Mia Goth, Sheikul. Exactly. The, 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 the re More like Shriekwell. The Shriekwell, ah! yes. The re goth. The, the re me goth. Um, the gothesance. <laughs> it never stopped being the gothesance goth for me. And uh, it's funny, I, we were talking before the show started. I, I listened to the old Mia Goth episode in preparation for this. You did too, Andrew. I did, yeah. Um, I it, did it was funny. <laughs> that like I just kind of wanted to check it out to see how kind of my perception of goth had changed in the interim and um, it was kind of a trip listening to the old episode because um, I feel like our show has changed a lot since then mm. in that um, you've run out of character actors well, and you're going back it w- again yeah, it was true. only yeah, the yeah. it was only the full f- circle <laughs> it was only the fourth episode of the show we put out and it was only 39 minutes long and <laughs> like generally yeah. if we get an episode under an hour now it's kind of like wow we did it yeah you know the heft um like, I feel like we're going to go long with this episode. Probably. Um, I don't think we did a proper bio for Goth in the first episode. So, Andrew, did you prepare anything on this? Or did I you have it? something. You yeah. have something. I have, I have something. notes. Let's I have something from, from when we stopped. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's not a whole lot to cover here. But what has happened in the three years since we covered Mia Goth is pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Only a month after our Mia Goth part one episode came out, she co-starred in Autumn DeWilde's adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma alongside Anya Taylor-Joy, Johnny Flynn and Bill Nye. In 2021, she co-starred in Karen Sinore's non-existent action fantasy film, Mayday. I can prove it exists. It barely exists. Legally non-existent. Um, it's on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. iTunes? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh Apple TV watching motherfucker. Uh, 2022 was Goth's biggest year yet as the world began to emerge from COVID-induced societal brain fog. Goth had her first lead role in horror auteur Ty West's first film in six years, X playing both the jealous and elderly serial killer Pearl and the young, fame-hungry porn star Maxine Minx. In the same year, Goth co-wrote a prequel to Ext with West, focusing on Pearl and and conveniently titled Pearl. Goth continued to prove herself as one of horror's most exciting up-and-comers in 2023 as she co-starred in Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool opposite Alexander Skarsgård. Mia Goth will later appear in Maxine, the sequel to X, Marvel's Blade which, uh, judging by how th- shittily things are going on that front, could be a while. Um, the crime thriller Sweet Dreams, co-starring Ireland's own Niamh Algar, and oh, Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein. That's rumoured. That hasn't not. been confirmed. If that ever sees oh. the light of day. Uh, with yeah. Andrew Garfield and Oscar Isaac. Could be really good. Uh, we're manifesting that into existence. Yeah, Which one is supposed to be the monster? I would imagine they're both too Oscar skinny. Isaac is the monster, and Andrew Garfield's Fra- Doctor Frankenstein. Oh yeah, cast the Latino I would as the love monster. Yeah, a swap. of course. I would want Andrew Garfield as a monster. But maybe maybe they'll, maybe they'll do like, um, like they'll do two cuts twist. of it like yeah. the like the Danny Bull stage play where like the different actor <laughs> played him each night. Yeah. Um, between uh, me, Goth roles in X, Pearl, and Infinity Pool, back to back, and I think her becoming one of the kind of like main mm. starlets actresses of the moment. I feel like we could really gloat about how ahead of the curve we were. Oh, in putting big in pat on the back for that. We were, big yeah. Pat the back. Yeah, you know, it was like 
January 2020 play it an episode mm-hmm. probably record it in 2019 I was like but yeah. uh, I feel like we really it's all on you Katie because like we just wanted you on the show oh, you had pitched me a goth and you said it to us and we were like goth Huh. Mm. She is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, wanna, interesting. And she's in a lot of genre movies. Yeah. We should do it. And then um, that's become by far our most popular episode. Oh, so, I so. just keep for real? listening on yeah. repeat. I won't get into love? rating numbers here, yeah. but um, by, yeah, by far. It's, it, wow. it, I think it just got into the algorithm somehow. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah. into the zeitgeist on that one, Travis. Yeah. The weird yeah. goth girls, goth gays and gothies mm. people oh, looking to cancel Shia LaBeouf online were like oh my god a uh, podcast about his wife yeah, yeah well you know they're, they're back together they're back now. together and, and they just a child. Um, what a PR team she yeah. has yeah. Jesus uh, I really developed kind of a huge appreciation for goth when mm. prepping the first episode um, just to kind of just run down some of the stuff from the first episode just uh, immediately like one of the most immediately striking actors of her era both mm, in terms totally. of how she looks and sounds obviously insane she's, <laughs> she, she's very beautiful but she has these very distinct features mm. with the fair eyebrows um, big eyes button nose uh, plump lips and there's obviously that thing um, her two time collaborator Luca Guadagnino said about her which I think is right is that um, she has a very 70s face Absolutely, you know, yeah. compared yeah. her to Shelley Duvall and Twiggy and um, I think she's incredible at accents too but like her natural quite high pitched energetic sounding voice yeah. is like no one else I've ever heard yeah. and um, it's like a Victorian child yeah yeah I, it's weird it's, <laughs> I was surprised when I heard her real voice like, me too oh, I only really heard damn. it recently because like, she's been doing a lot of press for Infinity Pool and yeah. Pearl and but um, I would imagine the voice is kind of a, a result of her having a Brazilian mother a Canadian father and moving around a lot when she mm. was younger but then ultimately settling in the UK because it is very strong English accent but it's it's such a high pitch as well like it kind of makes her a perfect scream queen I think it's um, all, yeah. it's just perfect as well that her name is literally Mia Goth I don't think we talked about that in the first episode I always assumed it was a pseudonym it's her name no that's is her Mia real Goth. name yeah. it has like, like a her, she has like one of those long name Brazilian names yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I should have googled it because I should have wrote it down but her real name is it's fucking fantastic yeah that's why I was like oh let's get gothic in the first one yeah and again in, the, in this one you know oh, that's the, I think that's the closest we've come to like Mia Goth ha 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 she should be in like a gothic romance yeah. another one of the, those 70s novels well of, her full name is Mia Gypsy Mellow de Silva Goth that's Damn. her full Insane. legal name badass bitch it has a slur in it only real shoes get slurs but um <laughs> Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about the gothic thing because I was telling my mom we were doing a Mia Goth episode and she was like, I really liked her in Crimson Peak. And I was like, that's Mia Vazakeska. Oh <laughs> she was like, yeah, but Stoker, that was really good. And I was like, this. that was also Mia Vazakeska. Yeah. Uh, but she was like, who is Mia Goth? And then she was like, I've, I've never seen this person before in my life. <laughs> Stars at noon. It's yeah. like, oh, no, that's all Mia Vazakeska. Yeah. The mm, potential mother Mia. A tale of two We could do her. Well, yeah, that's true. Episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, beep, beep, beep. But uh, I've always been very impressed by Mia Goth's kind of daringness in mm-hmm. terms of the roles she takes on and the projects she gets involved in, which are, you know, often not very mainstream. They're pretty out there and dark, mm-hmm. uh, especially the ones we covered in the previous episode, like uh, The Survivalist and Nymphomaniac yeah. and mm-hmm. High Life. And and um, I've always felt kind of impressed as well about like how curated her career has felt in that, like, I'm not sure if it was planned or not. I imagine some of it is, some of it isn't. But um, we talked in our first episode about how earlier in her career she often played these younger characters sort of girls mm. in their late teens who for various reasons usually disturbing ones <laughs> are forced to enter adulthood and Some womanhood of a DB kind of thing yeah and 
we also talked about how our characters often kind of start off in narratives as very like meek and timid and are sort of pawns in other people's games but wind up revealing this kind of great inner strength mm -hmm. and like taking control of their situation and I think like a cure for wellness is like that and High Life and Marabone and The Survivalist mm -hmm. and um, I think since we last covered her she's continued to seek out very fascinating projects and collaborators. She seems to have found the sort of Scorsese to her De Niro in <laughs> Ty West. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he was best known before this for making House of the Devil, but then they collaborated on X and then wrote the prequel Pearl together. Like, So they seem to begin on like a house on fire. And um, now they're shooting a third film together. And it's kind of become one of the more interesting franchises of recent yeah, years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I feel like X as well was a huge elevation point for her because it was like a big hit and uh, really showed off her range. And I think one could also argue that it marked a subtle but maybe distinct change for her in terms of moving from playing these kind of internal characters where a lot is happening under the surface and they're, she was previously playing very kind of reactive characters, mm -hmm. kind of thrust into situations beyond their control, to playing these more sort of assertive, brash characters. You yeah, know, I think you can kind of see a trajectory with her, the first episode films. Like her filmography is very cool. I think it reminds me of the other episode, like Barry Keoghan. Mm. That episode and how it's so carefully curated for such a young person. They are like really selective with what they take. And I think, yeah, her early films that before the first episode, there's such a kind of timidness to them. She's got that ethereal wafy quality, but then there is an inner strength. But now I think in the later half of like the 2022 film, yeah. um, there's such like they're kind of solidified more and it's such a good director. Like she's kind of just gotten better and better and better like it's so good to see the crazy just brewing beneath yeah mm. I think she, she kind of she's like feminine rage a lot in the next in kind of X and Infinity Pool or like Pearl and Infinity Pool there but um yeah she's just a master class at like the alternative leading lady I think yeah no, exactly and yeah. like I think she previously was sort of like her characters would be sort of like reactive whereas now they sort of instigate stuff yeah. you know very much yeah. so yeah and uh, like I just I can't imagine um, any of her characters before X having the self-confidence to say like I need to be famous Wayne I deserve nice things I have cosmopolitan taste <laughs> um <laughs> Or would just be like utterly dominating Alexander mm -hmm. Skarsgård in Infinity Pool, <laughs> you know. So um, I will, I will say though, I like the level of star she's become since our first episode on her um, to this Rhea Goth episode um, has surprised me because like because of how like non-mainstream her work is, I figured she'd have like a slow ascent in the like a mm -hmm. Tilda Swinton kind of vein. But like as you mentioned, she's going to be one of the leads of a Blade movie, and mm -hmm. yeah, she's rumored to be in a Guillermo del Toro Frankenstein. It's she's just very cool to see. Better be a va vampire. She apparently the rumor is that she's going to play Dracula's daughter. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Do you want to we get into X? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Andrew, do you have the plot? I do. Yeah. In 1979, the cast and crew of the porn film The Farmer's Daughter. Maxine, played by Mia Goth, Bobby Lynn Parker, played by Brittany Snow, Jackson Hole, played by Scott Miscuddy, a.k.a. Kid Cuddy, uh, producer Wayne, played by Martin Henderson, director Orje, played by Owen Campbell, and Audio Tech Lorraine, uh, played by Jenna Ortega, arrive at a rural Texas farm they have rented from elderly owners Howard, played by Stephen Urey, and Pearl, also played by Mia Goth. Um, once it becomes clear to Howard and Pearl that what the crew are re actually up to, they become jealousy-fueled killing spree. Farmer's daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you. You know why? Why? You got that X factor. Our days of struggling may soon be over. Hollywood, here we go. So this is it. Our own studio backlog. What do you want? 
I'm looking for a place to stay. Oh, yes, sir. That's one ugly son bitch. And my wife, Pearl, is next door. So I would appreciate a little discretion. He don't know what we're doing, does he? Well, it's better to beg for forgiveness and ask for permission. Would you like to come inside? Much obliged. I want to be in the movie. Well, you can't. The story can't just change midway through. So, I prefer Pearl to X. I was but you, just about to say, you I, like, prefer I really X. like X. Goodbye. I know, it's, oh. so, it's so problematic. <laughs> I'm so glad I have a, t- a team. Yeah, there was no, like a lull and I was like, can I be honest? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to, you know, make you your face for you, X. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. pitch X. Okay, so yeah, X is like the kind of mainstream horror with an indie sensibility and kind of an adult attitude to mm-hmm. sex and violence that I think a lot of people wanted considering the movie made its budget budget back 10 to 15 times over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're in a great period at the moment for horror films in the last 10 years or so. I'm sure there's been plenty of sequels, remakes, requels and reboots along the way, but the originality on display is something else, is really something else as well. Uh, I think X is no Skinnamarink or Barbarian, but it's no Scream 6 either. It kind of falls directly in that sweet spot between originality and nostalgia. Um, and I think it's the work of a director who's clearly found new love for a genre that for the genre that made him famous and is he's I think Ty West is eager to do as much original work as possible within that genre while also hom- homaging all the things that made him him love horror cinema and filmmaking in general um, like he hasn't he hasn't made a movie he didn't make a movie for six years did a lot um, of TV and yeah so. did a lot yeah. of TV but yeah. between, between um, In a Valley of Violence and uh, X he had he didn't make a movie um, that barely came out in the Valley of Violence I feel yeah, like it didn't yeah. come out similar I remember seeing yeah. stacks and stacks of DVDs of it when I worked mm-hmm. in Golden Discs yeah. in the 2 for 12 euro section and being like oh Poor fella. Well, <laughs> yeah. I sure it was great. I should watch it. Yeah. And I think he actually, he also knew exactly who to call as well because the cast is basically two of the best modern screen queens in the business right now with uh, Mia mm. Goth and Jenna Ortega. And I think while Ortega's Lorraine is a fun spin on like the virginal final girl character with some <laughs> fun gory twists thrown in, it's Goth's jewel role that really forms the beating heart of X. And I think plot is kind of easy to write, but the characters can be hard. Which is a bit of a reductive statement because sometimes mm. it's the opposite and other times both are hard. And that's the problem with a lot of early slashers. So for every Black, Black Christmas, uh, there's an American Nightmare. Or for every Halloween, there's a Splatter University. Or for every Slumber Party Massacre, there's a Don't Go in the Woods Alone. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, X follows in the footsteps of the former three by making its characters feel like real people trapped in a sort of unreal, horrifying situation. And then mercilessly carving through them like your dad would through a Sunday roast. And if I had to guess, I'd say Sean Baker is a big fan of X, considering it's an empathetic look at sex workers and the perils they face on the job. Um, <laughs> unusual perils in this case, but perils nonetheless. Um, it was funny that there was the, that month where it was like X, Red Rocket and Pleasure all came out. And yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> sex sells. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and porn sells better, clearly, or stories about porn sell better. Um, I think it's rare that, we, that we're sympathetic to the protagonist and villain of a slasher movie and it's even rarer that those two characters are played by the same person I don't know if that's I'm sure it's happened before at some like is I don't know is Sisters by Brian De Palma is that I don't think the one actress plays both maybe she does okay um, yeah, I don't do you see Robert Downey Jr. is playing four characters in um, Bong, Park Chan-wook Park Chan-wook's yeah, yeah. Uh, HBO show yeah but I, I don't think that's really happened before yeah no I think you're right yeah um Unless Barbara Crampton played the Castle Freak in Castle Freak. Actually, it's a really bad movie, but Adrian Brody did it in a Dario Argento movie. 
Really? It's called Jallo. It's called Jallo. Adrian yeah. Brody. Yeah, he plays the detective hunting down a Jallo serial killer, and he's the serial killer as well. After he won his Oscar, his career like went through such high peaks and valleys. Yeah, very strange. So, so odd, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I get it. He must yeah. come from old money or something to just be able to do that. <laughs> um... <laughs> And there, there's a cosmic temporal link between Maxine and Pearl. One is a young woman dreaming of bigger, better things, while the other's dreams of fame and escape are distant memory lost in a fugue of demented psychosis. And we understand Pearl's motives, but not really where they're coming from beyond je- jealousy initially. Mm. But that's enough here, and often more than you can reasonably expect out of a decent slasher. Anyway, I didn't really make my case why it's better than Pearl there, but... Um, well, you'll, you'll just... I just, I, just, I just prefer... I just like how X is kind of... Not necessarily from the get-go, but it's get-go, but it starts it starts killing people quicker than Pearl does. It takes an hour. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. X takes the, ages yeah, for someone to get killed. Hour before someone dies at X. Does it not take an hour as well for Pearl? She well, she kills a duck in the first scene. A fucking duck, man. <laughs> All <laughs> lives matter. Yeah. I could I could make the same All example with the matter. fucking cow at the start of X. Um, oh, that's fair. Yeah, you see? That is, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is the cow. He thinks so fucking gets smart now. Car. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's not really a mur- it's a forewarning, you know, a foreshadowing. That's not really a real death. You know? And the duck isn't. I just feel like the duck had a name. But there's an alligator. <laughs> they feed the duck to an alligator. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. Um, they feed Britney the Snow to an alligator in. Well, then they feed. Well, there's, little that, impact. there's little impact. I love that, Britney I Snow. Yeah. So she's, she's really, great. Yeah, yeah, she's a lot of fun. Anyway, um, I just thought for a slasher, I it really drag with the kill count. That's my problem with X. Maybe I. Here's my world. thing about X. I, I really like it. Um, and well, I, I, the, that's the thing. The kill count in Pearl feels really rushed to me. Yeah. They really just bam, 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 bam. Whereas at least with X, it's kind of a bit more spread out. And the characters go, I think the characters go through a bit more where it's a lot quicker for like that bit where Jenna Ortega's fingers are broken by the hammer. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. But what annoys me, like she gets out, right? She Mm -hmm. does the thing and then she talks to Maxine Mm. and you never, she never is like, she looks like her fingers are healed. Like it doesn't, she's not running around like my fucking hand is like, you know, like it's like something happened in the previous scene and then there's no consequences in the following scene which that, drives me insane it is funny how quickly she also turns on the other that's scene. really yeah. funny that's though. really yeah. great yeah. Like it, would, it would be like how yeah. I would act yeah. she's like what's wrong with you people yeah. um, just, yeah, the, the, the violence the, in it just kind of it's like something happened and then it's like oh no one's in pain like that kind of just I, I forget I get you thing. yeah well that's because they blew all the money on uh, Pearl's prosthetics yeah, well, yeah. God, yeah. Well, they're, and they're really good Good. Yeah, yeah, like are House of Gucci, good. Jared Leto, good. Yeah. See, I didn't even realize. I think those prosthetics are great, whether or not the performance of House of Gucci, but the prosthetics are amazing. It's yeah, like, where did yeah. Mia got started? Where does yeah. Pearl begin? End? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I didn't know she was Pearl until I saw the credits. I was like, jeez. See, I had it spoiled because yeah. the, 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 the annoying thing about this uh, franchise, which mm. I love, I love that, like, if we're going to make a move, a TV show about, like, Batman's butler that runs for three seasons that we get to make these kind of weird uh, mm-hmm. like this one's kind of a Wizard of Oz homage uh. slasher movie this one's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Boogie Nights but um, the weird annoying thing is they come out in America and then we don't get them like six months later so I feel like I had seen basically all of Pearl before Pearl came yeah, out here because there were so many Pearl. like reels of yeah, like yeah. her doing the smile mm. or you know like doing the monologue and you're like damn it you know yeah. um but um, no, in terms of like how slow X is, I would I agree that I, I got a bit restless both times I've watched it. But I also am a bit like it's a, it's a homage to seventies movies. 
It literally looks like it was made for in the seventies. Like Tobias was really good at yeah. that. House of the Devils, the yeah, same. Yeah, House of the Devils, um, crazy good. I, I hope um, X Max or Maxine. Maxine. We have to say that every time. Yeah, has the same kind of aesthetics as House of the Devil does. But here's my thing about Maxine. I'm, I'm laying it out here. Okay. Predictions. Because every like movie in this franchise so far has been kind of a radical change in kind of like vibe and what it's homaging. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Maxine is the '80s, it should be like a neo noir erotic thriller horror Ooh, that's good yeah Ooh. and it's her in Hollywood and it's like I don't know meets a guy thinks he's really great turns out he's like a weirdo and it's like is Mia Goth is, is Maxine gonna turn into more like Pearl or is she gonna like forge her own path mm, I think they've set yeah. up a really good mystery of like is Maxine gonna end up like Pearl yeah um, that's my theory yeah. if you have any other I ones like please shoot them yeah. out but um yeah I, I to be honest I'd like, I think X is really fun um, I think my thing about why I, why I like Pearl better is that I think X is kind of just like a fun ensemble, has some really good kind of like dark comedy moments. I think Ty West sets up these kind of like, there's a lot of foreboding and then like he really pays off in these kind of narrative set pieces in the second half. Um, I do think there's kind of like interesting thematic stuff going on in X kind of regarding aging, you know, the way like Mm. Pearl and Howard's (laughs) motivations for targeting the cast of The Farmer's Daughter. Um, The porn film within a film is that they're kind of envious of the younger people's youth and there's these little moments before or in between kind of Pearl and Howard committing these like horrible acts of carnage where you actually see them try to keep the spark in their romantic relationship alive and in the face of their kind of ailing health. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was like, what in God? <laughs> and, yeah. and it's kind of like, fascinating and, yeah. and a little bit emotional. Is that weird to say? Or It is a little, yeah. yeah I mean, I so. yeah. If I it's... just never thought it, it's brave. I'll give it that. X is brave. Yeah. I didn't yeah, think yeah, yeah. But to me, yeah. old people... I think Doing really go for it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a, you should have you should have heard my uh, when I was in the theater and I'll, like half the crowd just going, oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah, I was like, I feel so ageist yeah, right yeah, now. But yeah, yeah it's ageist, but I still don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. sure. That's the thing that the problem that I had with it was like it was a bit too slow. Um, the sex or the, the sex? Just, yeah. The sex was very slow, yeah, painfully. Yeah. He's a bad yeah. hip. Leave yeah, alone. he just <laughs> she is a bad hip even. Um, and I just got to turn it into hagsploitation. I know that's the whole point, and usually I like hagsploitation films, but I just was like, oh, it feels a bit cheap or something. And I, I just came out of it being like, I just want to watch Texas Chainsaw. Like I know that's a mash, <laughs> but I was like, oh, I just want like it makes me want. I wish I didn't see, see it, that, but I watched yeah. the original one. See, I find Texas Chainsaw Massacre so disturbing and so like a raw yeah. nerve that I'm kind of like, I like that I have X where it's like, this is the fun one. And I think like, as you said, there's like an exploration of sex work in X and like the intersection between pornography and cinema and also like why people crave fame. I think all this stuff makes the movie a bit deeper than just mm. like, here's to the perverts. <laughs> it's like a really, it's possible to make a good dirty movie. <laughs> um, Feel how hard I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that um, it's like those kind of deeper themes make it not just like a great concept really well executed Mm. but I do think that a lot of that um, those themes are explored in greater depth or deepened by Pearl but I think the seeds are really laid out next that's kind of my argument for it but I, I just think Goth is so good. I can't believe it. I think X is the best film ever. I think Goth in it makes it amazing. Like her, Maxine, is just such a breath of fresh air where it's just, you don't really see a lot of people be like, I don't give a shit kind of attitude. Mm. She just walks in and is like, I want to be famous. One track mind. Yeah, you one know, track determined. mind. And she is more than happy to just like cut a bitch down. But she like goes for Pearl and you're like, yeah, get her. I, yeah. I maybe would feel bad trying to kill her. Pop that lady. head like a melon. Yeah. <laughs> Pop off, queen. Yeah. But um, yeah, she is, 
it's, it's the overalls it's just the overalls they're, the they're so iconic yeah. the dungarees yeah. and um, they're brought back in pearl as well yeah. <laughs> she wears a lot of pearl wearing the dungarees yeah. yeah I just like how hers is like sexy version yeah, nothing yeah. underneath ready to go whatever <laughs> <laughs> and obviously like pearl or we said Mia Goth has like a 70s face and like makes sense put, putting her in this movie like she's really well cast yeah um I also think it makes kind of th- it obviously makes thematic sense for Maxine and Pearl to be played by the same actress because like we learn in X that Pearl when she was younger had aspirations of being a mm. famous dancer but didn't work out for her and she says you know sor- sorrowfully in X like not everything in life turns out how you expect and though what I really like in the prequel Pearl is that it's not really as binary as she didn't get the part in the dance troupe so she started murdering people <laughs> yeah. um, I think her dream her dreams kind of not being met were sort of a factor yeah, in her it's, it's villain really, origin story it's, it's really she was murdering people before she didn't get the part <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. I think mean, she's just like insane in a bit yeah but um, Maxine though is similarly kind of one track minded about being famous like one of her first lines in the movie is her saying to herself in the mirror after taking a bump of cocaine you're a fucking sex symbol you're a fucking <laughs> sex symbol <laughs> I should do that every morning morning before I go into work you have to <laughs> um, yourself up she also tells her uh, porn producer boyfriend Wayne who left his wife for her I think it's said <laughs> in the movie um, and he's played Wayne played by Martin Henderson who's in the ring yeah, um, yeah. poor Miles McConaughey I was uh, yeah. d- listen have it right here that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say it's like he's doing such a good McConaughey impression but you do kind of wish it was McConaughey yeah, he would have yeah, just yeah. He would, McConaughey would have just naturally hit the seed yeah. <laughs> to, to pull it off but um, the bit where I mentioned the quote earlier about her being like I deserve nice things I have cosmetics taste but then after that she says I want the whole world to know my name like Linda Carter or some shit <laughs> um, and like I just think the dialogue is really bouncy and funny and I quite enjoy the determination and I think like the line deliveries and that like heavy southern accent just feel instantly iconic like they're made to be just cut out of the movie and put on like TikTok reels or yeah, something you know yeah. um, but I do think like Gots like manages to convey to the viewer that like her character's like a parent self-confidence and like single-minded ambition is maybe her way of counteracting I think like feelings of self-doubt because she's just very self-conscious of the Jenna Ortega character judging her like it kind of keeps coming up throughout the movie mm-hmm. yeah. there's also the another scene of Maxine talking to the mirror this time after Pearl tells Maxine about her failed dreams of becoming a dancer and Maxine like runs to the bathroom and twitchingly like takes another uh, bump of cocaine and you hear her thoughts in her head and they're like you're not good bluff it and she turns to the mirror and says aloud to herself like it's a mantra um, the phrase I will not accept a life I do not deserve and <laughs> I just think that that behavior and those kind of feelings of self-doubt make a bit more sense when you sort of learn more about like how you know Maxine's past like her family in the movie, no yeah. doubt spoiling anything. Um, oh, I mean, not spoiling. Well, we can keep we keep it maybe okay. a little bit like that's very generous. Where we, I think back in the day we were very spoilery, but yeah, stuff, yeah, we had some pushback. Okay, you said it to me. Yeah. I thought. Oh, did I? Maybe I said it. Maybe someone said it to me. I can't remember. Okay. But I feel like I, I try not to. If it's my rules about spoilers on this thing, or it's like if it's really integral, if it's like Bob Hoskins at the end of the Long Good Friday, you sort of have to say what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you don't, if you can kind of like front load like it's stuff that happens yeah, earlier yeah. in the movie you're kind of good Rosebud was the sled <laughs> no <laughs> Bruce Willis is a ghost uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah and, like, comparison I can't now mention in Pearl oh well <laughs> oh no no, you no, no. listen you listen well, that, that, if you think it's uh, integral no, it's to the not, thing it's not that important no. you know. so you'll, um, get it. you'll get it but in X you have kind of goth playing you know both Maxine the aspiring star and Pearl the person whose dreams of being a star didn't manifest and um, 
I, yeah, I think the, the whole point is that like you having the same actress in both roles and the other similarities between the characters over the course of X and Pearl make you wonder will Maxine eventually become a killer like Pearl? And I think they've laid out a really good track. Yeah, I hope I hope they go with your version. I like that. I think so. I th- I would you like I would like Maxine not to become a killer because I oh. think that they're like different people. Yeah, but yeah. I think the whole the trajectory of the role is like they are the same person. I think like I like I the feel like that's how it's I like I the like, concept of this like incredibly lethal final girl though. Yeah. Mm. Like she's really good at killing people even if she doesn't want to. That's why yeah, the new Scream movie is Wick. good. I think with the Melissa Barrera stuff in <gasps> yeah, Scream 6. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh. I like Okay, that. that's a whole other I, was, I like listen. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um but um It's a good idea. I just don't think it's been executed very well in that's Scream fair. 6. Um, I think though got yeah got is already doing great work making Maxine feel like a likable but complex heroine mm-hmm. uh, but he, on top of that like she's playing Pearl in all the old age makeup fair play to her in the fucking heat of that like I imagine, that yeah. looks, Can I imagine. I don't know where they were filming it but that looked very sweaty I do think like it must have been a really fun shoot because yeah. like, you're hanging out with like Jen Ortega and Kid Cudi but yeah, um, yeah. but then having to be in like the you know yeah, like walking yeah. around in the but rubber it'll be, it would drive yeah, me nuts it took like 10 hours to put on and yeah. then she was shooting for 12 hours the shooting scene because they do the thing where it's like when people play twins where it's like you shoot w- one scene and then you do the other scene you have to kind of remember where your marks are so yeah, it feels yeah. natural which I think she really does I think oh, you wouldn't God, really yeah. notice um, it probably helps that her interactions with Pearl are a bit like stilted because Pearl is a bit odd <laughs> but you know yeah, yeah. Exactly. it works, it works. Um, but um I think what's most impressive is how Goth in X in a few just key scenes manages to make audiences feel, you know, if not like a tinge of pity for Pearl, at least understand where she's coming from or be able to kind of track her motivations. But she also like makes Pearl so creepy, menacing and evil in like other points. And um, as is the case when she commits the first murder in the movie, it can change on like a dime. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's the scene where, you know, Pearl tries to seduce Howard, but Howard can't make love to her because of his weak heart mm-hmm. and Pearl disheartened leaves and runs into the one of the porn career outside and the guy asks Pearl like are you okay and she tenderly hugs him and kisses his cheek but he's like repulsed by her and she says like why won't you look at me look at me like you looked at her talking about his girlfriend and it's kind of heartbreaking but then suddenly she just like viciously murders him <laughs> and you're like uh, and then she imagines music in her head and does this like classical dance over his corpse and just like the hairs on the back of your neck are like yeah. I'm so freaked out and Joker dance. Very, very it is very Joker and I've heard Pearl be called Lady Joker but I think it's better than that mm, um, yeah, we move on so. to Pearl let's do it yeah yeah, oh, you, um, yeah. yeah. You to, we can, we can circle yeah, back we can interject do you want if to you think, um, yeah she said in an interview this is from Pearl that um, plot doesn't interest me very much she's more character driven and attracted to like out there directors a calibre for cast and she kind of found her people especially when her first film was like Nymphomaniac so I think that what a great first film, though. What a jumping off springboard mm. for the weird and wacky with the Lars Runcher. But then to go from X, from there to X, and then she's kind of got this. I think you could, the difference between X and Pearl for me is like she's got a writing credit on mm. Pearl. So I think that's what makes Pearl a little bit better that she's got this kind of feminine, more in tune with herself. Because obviously Mia Goth is given tips and stuff, and that kind of gets brought into the script more than with X, where it was just like himself. Um, so I think she's kind of yeah put her own personal story she can bring a female it. perspective yeah. and like if, if you maybe have like a critique of X is that like 
It's, know, very, it's a very g- glamorous view of pornography, <laughs> you know, like. That's true, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, especially way back then. Yeah. yeah. But so was Boogie Nights. It was Nights, the style yeah. at the time. That's true, yeah. yeah. But um, do you want to you break just for people if they don't know the Yeah, program? sure. Um, so in 1918, during the Spanish flu a- epidemic just after World War One, in rural Texas, Pearl, played by Mia Goth, is a young woman living with her German immigrant parents waiting for her husband to return from the First World War. Her mother, Ruth, played by Tandy Wright, is cold and critical of Pearl, while her father is in wheelchair is wheelchair-bound and paralytic. Pearl believes she deserves better, despite her penchant for parental abuse and animal cruelty, and her strained relationship <laughs> with her parents and her sister-in-law Mitzi, played by Emma Jenkins Perrow, along with an encounter with a handsome cinema project- projectionist, played by David Corinsweat, drives Pearl to madness and murder. The first of many. Did I do something wrong? No. Then why did you just go cold on me? I don't know what you mean. What did you see? I didn't see anything. You're lying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. I know because I feel things very deeply. Look, I gotta get back to work, all right? I'll, I'll see you later. When? What? When will I see you? I don't know, Pearl. It's just an expression. You're not going to take me to Europe, are you? Tell me the truth. What did I do wrong? Nothing. Calm No! Why are you leaving me if I don't do anything wrong? I don't understand. I thought you liked me! I do like you. I just... Tell me the truth! Why are you leaving me? What did you see? Why did you change? You're scaring me, Pearl. Mitzi is why Pearl doesn't like blondes in X. You know, she says that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair. That was a good connection. Yeah, I was like, a good, yeah! Nice Easter egg. Yeah. But yeah, Pearl is a what a character study of just a lovely meaty role, I think. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say just a character just study of a lovely person. <laughs> a lovely lady. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, 100% agree. Because um, I think jumping off, it's like Pearl from the start is always just unhinged. Like mm. I would have, going into Pearl, I kind of was like, oh, we'll see why she's Pearl. But I think I just think it's kind of like it's always been like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's like she was pulling things off flies when she was three. Yeah, like her mom was kind of always very suspicious of her. Like doesn't like her. She's like, you're a weird one. Mm -hmm. Watch it, girl. But um, yeah, and obviously not getting into the the troop is a Mm. kind of a (laughs) that kind of set her over the edge. But she was already on the edge. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah, it's good. You never really see that kind of deranged female character like that. That's just from the jump deranged. Mm-hmm. That's why, yeah, like yeah, the Joker yeah. himself. Like he was never like the full shilling. <laughs> yeah, because I think the first time I saw Pearl at the Diff Midnight screening and I was a little bit tired going to see it. And I think the first time I saw the Pearl's climactic, very cathartic eight and a half minute monologue, which... You know, she imagines she's delivering to her husband and is, uh, it's just like mostly rendered in a wonder and it's just incredible performance by Goth. Some incredible writing about her too. I interpreted the monologue the first time as like this character who, who had been an enigma up to this point, finally kind of filling in the blanks and explaining mm-hmm. what's wrong with her. But watching again for this, like the monologue more just kind of shows viewers what it's like inside Pearl's head. And it's just like this mix of anger and sadness and self-loathing and this like mess of contradictions. And like, but the pervading feeling at the end of it, she expresses is just like, what is wrong with me? Like, you still don't even know at the yeah, end of it. Yeah. <sighs> like, why am I like this? And her kind of asking, like, if I choose this particular course of action, which I won't spoil, but like, mm. will it make everything okay? But because we've seen X, we know probably not. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? And um, I think it's, she's very scarily unknowable, Pearl, in a great way. And... You know, you mentioned some of the stuff that she does. It's like animal cruelty, you know, mm-hmm. abusing abuse, her, yeah. paralyzed father, the the kind of 
very complex relationship she has with her mother and a fiery relationship (laughs) if you will and then like these dreams of becoming a star that like don't don't really come to pass not really a spoiler because we know it from x but um i think the greatest praise that you can give to goth in pearl is that while the movie deals with this like heavy subject matter um that doesn't really exactly scream like good time at the movie (laughs) or like good hang uh goth manages to take all that's complicated about her character and just depict it in this way that is just really fun and entertaining (laughs) i don't know how she manages to do it because like she has these like doe eyes and thin frame and can play like the kind of apparently like naive and innocent farm mm-hmm. hand really well. Um, it's not too far from some of her earlier breakthrough roles. Um, also, as you mentioned, the, the blue dungarees she wears while working on the farm and the, the blood red dress mm-hmm. that she wears the for the audition. Um, are for, someone's got to dress as Pearl for Halloween. I more than, it's, more it's, than it's one gonna person. It's going to happen. Because right? yeah, yeah. I, 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 I saw a couple of midsummer um, costumes last year and I feel like Pearl's going to be the, the new craze this year. Mm. But... Um, I just think... Well, it's better than the the monster from Barbarian, anyway. <laughs> well, it's, that's just very hard to render. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, great, you showed up naked, yeah. calling the cops. <laughs> like, naked and ugly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I just think, like, all the, the clothes and, like, that kind of vibe that she gives it, like, just suit the, the era of the movie. Because, like, as I didn't think you... Did you say it was, like, the set in the 1910s and... 1918. 1918, yeah. and... Um, has this sort of technical or Mary Poppins Wizard of Oz aesthetic yeah. that gradually just becomes kind of more and more sour over the course mm. of the movie which I love but um, the way that Goth can go from like embodying this image of the innocent farm girl who like longs for the big city to suddenly turning into like a terrifying Terminator just it's never not gripping but it's also really funny yeah. <laughs> because like, the bit where she's like innocently dancing with the scarecrow but then imagines like the face of the hot projectionist onto oh, it yeah. and just out of nowhere shits I'm married yeah. uh, hysterical <laughs> or the bit where the projectionist after visiting Pearl's farm realizes all is not right and tries to get out of there and Pearl screams at him no why are you leaving me if I didn't do anything wrong I don't understand I thought you liked me <laughs> oh girl that's so real <laughs> she also has a line in that scene that is also really funny but scary where she says I know you're lying I know because I feel things very deeply <laughs> she's uh, an empath but she's an empath <laughs> yeah um but the real bit that had my cinema guffawing was after she's dumped the body of someone she's killed in the lake in her farm. Mm. Um, someone who talked about going to Europe out of nowhere. She just goes, au revoir, po Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think her comic timing is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, no, she does like switch on a dime and it's pretty good. And she does that in Infinity Pool as well. But like the Pearl one, I think is just like chef's kiss level of just... <laughs> being completely psychotic in this like very horror-esque like scream people and then just like this comic genius mm. um, and then really like dramatic monologue like that monologue at the end is like out of Ibsen or yeah, something like the way it's played uh, it's, um, and even her like making up with the mom kind of speaking German that one time like it's just such a tender moment you're like well, he's kind of got on. Did you know? You such if only this psycho. hadn't have happened. Yeah. You didn't just have a little mental That's what I mean. You didn't do this. Um, <laughs> Tandy Wright, who plays the mother, do you know that she was the intimacy coordinator on X? Oh. Apparently not German. Just unbelievable. I would have thought she was yeah. just like found a German yeah. actress. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and as I said, like I, another thing I love about this movie is just its commitment to this, I think, more unique than X kind of visual and oral aesthetic. Like, um, the movie begins with that like, sweeping, swoony score and these very wide, technicolor shots of yeah. Pearl's farm. And just the colors pop off the screen. Everything seems really idyllic. But, you know, very soon I realize that there is a darkness and sickness in Pearl and her family and in the world at large with this influenza pandemic. And it's cool as well because the movie was written during, you know, COVID lockdown. So it's kind of like nice that they tie it in together. You the know? fact that they shot them back to back is super impressive as well. Really? 
really I think they filmed Pearl in like four weeks but like six day weeks so like oh, everyone they, was just running on exhaustion they wrote, <laughs> yeah. the, they wrote the script for Pearl in the mandatory quarantine period to make X wow so it was even like that kind of late to the wire and yeah. like I think it's a really good movie I think maybe parts of it feel a little rushed but uh I think if I made Pearl after like six that. months of writing yeah. it, I'd be like very proud of it. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, the fact yeah, that he did yeah. like two weeks. But um, yeah, no, it's, but it's like this sickness, like just affects this picturesque world of the movie. Like the score gets like sadder and more menacing as it goes on. The color that begins to pop off the screen a lot more is crimson of blood, the color of blood. The blood. And um, slight spoilers, but the movie literally ends with Pearl you know, trying to set the scene for this big family dinner, but like all the other people at the table are dead and the food <laughs> is like putrefied yeah. and like, gone rotten. And even just the last shot of the movie, like this long take over the credits of just God's face as Pearl makes this like big protracted smile that gradually becomes more pained and scary as it goes on and like tears run down her face. Just a really good metaphor symbol for the movie as a whole. Like, you know, what starts off being kind of bright and upbeat just very quickly turns disturbing, you know? Yeah, you do just think like she's going to crack at the end. But like she's wavering, like just about to, but never does. My that thing smile is, is crazed. So what is Howard? I, I, the, my only issue with kind of maybe the link between Pearl and X is that like, what does Howard get out of this? Yeah. That's yeah, what like, I, yeah. So when I went in, I loved Pearl, but I think the hype was too big for the, the lead up, like you're saying, the delayed mm. uh, Irish date here was quite long. Mm. So like you just saw all the memes and the gifts and everything where it was like, Pearl's going to do this, Pearl's going to do that. And then it didn't quite, it wasn't a hundred percent for me. I think I give it like an eighty-five or something. Um, and I like the references and shit, but there is a huge gap in the timeline that I would have liked to see in Pearl that I felt we were robbed with. Like when Howard comes back, it, and the, I would the, just the, I would pay case. anything to know what the next five minutes are. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, "Where's my sister? Yeah. Like, <laughs> where's my sister? What's going on?" Because yeah. he wanted to live on the farm and have that simple farm life. It's like, where's your family gone? It, he's pro- is the implication where's probably the that he's pretty shell-shocked after the war and is probably a bit like, yeah. look, this is the worst thing Howard's... I've seen this week. Yeah. Also, I think it's, a, it's said in X that he fought in two wars. So did he fight in World War II too? Yeah. Maybe just to get away from her. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. It's, a, it's interesting. I'd love to see somewhere a fourth film maybe set between, you know, Pearl yeah. and X. When did it something get... like Psycho or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Mm. Like, oh, I want yeah. to know the time where like Howard gets on board with the killing of people and like the men and like, do they have like an open arrangement where like he eventually can't have sex with her? So like men get brought in and he kills. Like I want that whole. Because Pearl's motivations in Pearl and X are very different. Yeah, mm. yeah. But um, I kind of like that. It's I I can make the movie in my head <laughs> in yeah. a weird way, yeah. you know. Yeah. But um, but I just think that I I was the same with you. Whereas I went to see X and Pearl the first time, and I was really impressed by it. But I was a little bit like when you kind of heard such hype or whatever, you think mm. it's going to be like this movie is going to blow my socks off. And I think just knowing a lot of what happens before you go into the movie, you're just a bit you don't have the kind of visceral reaction that you yeah. display. Watching it again at home, I, I was I think Pearl is maybe one of my favorite movies of this year so far. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I just think like the decision to have your climax of your slasher movie be an eight and a half minute long monologue and then to follow that up with that end credit scene is just really daring mm. from like a filmmaking yeah, and story-wise perspective. I think it the gamble pays off hugely and makes Pearl kind of unforgettable as like a film and I think most of that is just down to how captivating Goth is and how she's able to take this totally reprehensible character and make audiences invested in them mm. so um, well, I was curious what, Oscars, what's your main so issue with Pearl if uh, that made you kind of like not because you don't even you don't really like the movie <laughs> oh yeah I think it, it. I think thinking about it in terms of X kind of recontextualized it a bit for me and made me like it a bit more um, but I don't know I just I just found it a bit 
slower and less entertaining than X was, even if, you know, the... As you, as you say, the kill count is mm. a roughly, or not the kill count, but the like the actual madness of it all doesn't start until quite late in the film. The actual like murder and mm. violence kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, and I, I guess I just, I just think I just prefer X's setting and characters than I do to Pearl's. And, uh, you know, it helps that I know more of the cast of X than Pearl. That's true. Whereas, you know... It's more like a one-woman show, in fairness. Pretty much, with, yeah, like, yeah. Dad's pretty much an action. Yeah. Bob's not a big talker. Mm, yeah, whereas it, uh, with X, you've <laughs> yeah. got like, oh, Kid Cudi's really funny, Jenna Ortega's really interesting and like ha- is a really cool spin on like this uh, virginal final girl character. RJ, pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Henderson, pervert. Brittany Snow, hot pervert. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think it is interesting, though, because... It does sort of sort of show a recent trend of actors kind of not seeing the kind of material they want to be a part of or perform and just kind of going out and either finding their own or writing their own. Like we see it with Glenn Powell with The Hitman. He's the movie he's co-writing yeah, with Richard like, Linklater. Devotion as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Finding and, that um, book. Jenna Ortega with Wednesday, all that controversy about her like just scrapping lines from it and saying and making up her own stuff because the line she got from the writers were like this is totally out of character I'm not saying this <laughs> and again with and now with uh, Goth herself with Pearl which co-wrote a script um, with Ty West now I think she's got, she's been very lucky in terms of her career in that yeah. you know, she's been quite selective and um, just being able to like seeing something in X and being able to like like extrapolate from that this whole other story about this character when she was much younger I think is very uh, very fortunate I think and I'm not saying that writing has gotten worse but the saturation of like superhero films and the kind of self-deprecating embarrassment they seem to suffer from along with their quippy half-assed dialogue and muddy visuals cast a long shadow it'd be great not to see that kind of writing uh, it's, not, it's not to say in I the new know. Blade film yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it'd be great not to see that kind of writing in the new Blade film yeah <laughs> and you know luckily Pearl doesn't suffer from that because mm. Goth understands her character in a very intimate way and Ty West has been writing really realistic dialogue since House of the Devil hmm. you know because you, you, you watch House of the Devil which I love my favourite film is, yeah. I, yeah I really yeah. liked it and uh, and you believe it you know you believe Greta Gerwig would uh, in that in those like three <laughs> scenes she have has have that great haircut have mm. that great haircut and then get her face blown off yeah <laughs> uh, have you seen the cast for Maxine I read it today and Elizabeth Debicki Michelle Monaghan Peter oh, Sarsgaard Bobby Cannavale future I know the face subject yeah, someday Giancarlo Esposito do we say Kevin Bacon no. no Kim Bacon private no. investigator uh, that's gonna be it's gonna be so good yeah um, they just started filming like a week ago from when we were recording this as you heard in the intro this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts there's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network here's a taster of one hello my name is Dave Coffey and I'm the host of Phoning It In the hilarious improvised phone-in show it's like Joe Duffy's live line except we make it all up on the spot We've got a back catalogue of over 100 episodes featuring some of the best comedy performers in the country. People like Kevin McGahern, Alison Spittle, Killian Sunderman, Shane Dan Byrne, Joanne McNally, Michael Fry, Emma Doran, Peter McGann, Hannah Mamelis, Tony Cantwell and so many more. Join me, Dave Coffey, for phoning it in right here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus 
can get bonus episodes of Heads of Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc., all for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything, all the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. We move on to Infinity Ball. Yes. Okay, I have the plot for this. Wake Um, me when you're done, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This sci-fi horror thriller stars Alexander Skarsgård as James Foster, a married novelist looking for inspiration for a new book. As such, he and his wealthy wife, Em, played by Cleopatra Coleman, travel to this um, seemingly idyllic fictional country named Lee Tolka to stay in a luxurious resort. Uh, While there, Em and James meet Gabby, played by Mia Goth, and Alban, played by Jaleel Lesbert, another married couple. Uh, Gabby says she's a big fan of James's work, and the two couples begin hanging out, eventually deciding to spend a day together visiting Little talk his countryside this is despite the warning that tourists are to remain on the resort compound at all times um while out james cheats on his wife with gabby and kills someone in a drink driving accident later arrested james is told by a cop paid by thomas kreshman that the punishment in lee tolka for his crime is death at the hand of the dead man's firstborn son but that the country allows guilty people for a hefty fee to clone themselves and have the resulting duplicate take the punishment after availing of this option james stays in the country while his wife leaves james then falls in with a dangerous subculture of wealthy tourists on the island including gabby and her husband who exploit this cloning option to commit whatever crimes they please members of the bus give us the coward james foster or i will come in shooting he is a spineless worm and a bedwetter and he'd sell his own mother for horse meat to save himself clones killed in the movie they're very graphically right well yeah. just with like well, a, a like, stabbing yeah. oh okay right it's no, like I'm like sorry. a 10 year old boy stabs alexander skarsgård oh lovely but then there's another one where their throats get slit like the, yeah i guess it's all stabby yeah, it's really yeah, it's pretty stabby, stabby. stabby i was just curious yeah. i haven't seen this film just so uh, yeah just... yeah no um turn on one day and i'm like is there anything else like was someone hung hanged hung it's uh, there's not honestly I'm one of the kind know. of slightly weird things about Infinity Pool is that there isn't much clone action in it it's sort of um, there's never yeah. a part where you're like it's more of like the jumping off point for the depravity yeah. there's never really like oh is Alexander Skarsgård is fake you know like right. it doesn't really yeah, get yeah, into yeah. that kind of it, they it's sort of they talk it, about it but they don't really it never yeah. really comes apart um, I think maybe a little bit it feels yeah. like a one missed opportunity yeah. but. I think Cronenberg has been working on this since like 2014 he said in an interview mm. and I think he had like the main idea around the cloning and then the rest of it was just kind of like tacked on. Like I kind of would like more cloning and more kind of thought around the cloning. But it is kind of, you know, it is touched upon at the start. Yeah. But they never really go back on it. Like you're never like, oh, to me, who's I, the real Skarsgård? 
Exactly. There's the, yeah. the bit where the guy says it in passing at the party, and it's kind mm. of a scary idea, and then the movie doesn't really address it. But I think where it goes is interesting too, yeah. so I don't really hate it. To me, this um, apparently Brandon Cronenberg is working on a TV adaptation of a J.G. Ballard novel, mm. you know, who made High Rise. And good I think look, this, good look to him. <laughs> I think this really has high risey energy in terms of like. Oh, yeah, a long line of let's eat the rich movies that have come out. The that's last true. Yeah. 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 And TV shows, yeah. you know, like White Lotus and Succession, name, yeah. Bodies, 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 all these things. All of it, yeah. Um, but I think this eat the rich thing is kind of an interesting one because the only person who has any kind of emotional or like uh, kind of empathetic is Cleopatra Colbert's character M who was the only person that I thought is like naturally or like was born rich mm, so the true. others are kind of giving off this like nouveau riche kind of extremism that comes with their body like they just have that's all interesting this. that's yeah. why I think, yeah there's like an extra weird unique class like thing that you could kind of go into it where it's like the difference between like actual rich people and nouveau rich people yeah, that they just kind I of think burn, live fast. Interesting. She's a person of color who plays her. Yeah, uh, but she does also leave the movie within the first third, and then the rest of it yeah, you're just stuck like, with awful people. Um, I um, I also think this is kind of a, it feels of a piece of Cronenberg's previous movies in that like it's a body horror with this very provocative premise mm. and a series of sequences. I would say each more demented than lur- and lurid than the one that came before it. But I also, I think as the movie goes on, it reveals itself ultimately as being a kind of study of a flawed, damaged person. Like in this case, this Jane Foster character played by Skarsgård, who at the beginning, it seems like he has it all. He looks like Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> he's got a beautiful, wealthy wife. He's a novelist. He's able to stay at this beautiful resort. But gradually over the course of the movie, you learn that like Skarsgård's life isn't too hot. Like him and his wife relationship seems a bit strange yeah um, he's only... I think there's obviously a power balance because she's obviously got all the money well he's only written one novel yeah, and it got bad novel. reviews <laughs> yeah. I think it's mentioned that his wife's father is a wealthy publisher so mm-hmm. it's probably like yeah, he got it published yeah. and there's a feeling that kind of James realises he's, he's like not the writing town he thought and he's kind of turned sullen because of that so that might be turning off his wife and I think like watching another version of himself be killed and also inflicting pain on others with no worries or ramification becomes like this weird way from to purge his kind of anger and frustration. And what I think that theme is really interesting, it's maybe not quite as interesting as Brandon Kroger's previous movies in that like he's yeah. kind of a tough hang. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And like it comes after a wave of these, as you said, eat the rich movies, whereas I think like the premises of Antivar and Possessor are really like where did you even come up with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Possessor is so unique and Antivar, but like this one I'm like, yeah, okay, cloning makes sense. Got it. But you're kind of like, why are they, why are they cloning someone? Like, surely the, the government will get annoyed about this. It's I know a, it's like they get more and more money, but it's like, you gotta... Even, like, it seems to me kind of like a, a satire of this sort of, uh, what is it, like, danger tourism? And, like, the, or these kind of rich sure, people who yeah. go abroad and, yeah, like, yeah. commit loads of illegal and moral acts that they probably wouldn't have done on their home turf. And mm-hmm. then how, like, those maybe poor countries sort of benefit from that, but also, yeah. like, how it impacts the locals. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, touching on these interesting things, but I just feel that um, there's about three quarters of the way through Infinity Pool where I feel like it's kind of laid out its main thesis, and I'm a bit like, I get it, and then it kind of just goes on it for another quarter, bit, yeah. and you're a bit like, I'm it's kind good. of losing the thread here. Yeah. Um, because then they kind of turn on James for the crack, but it's like, yeah, why are you picking on him? Like, maybe because he's, like, new to the group, I guess. I mean, he's obviously the main character, but... And then it goes, there's another tw- two twists after that in terms of how Mia got behaves, and I'm a bit like, I've been finding it hard to track the logic as much as I love her, like, oh. whole vibe. I've, I saw yeah. someone describe it as, like, um, gleeful menace <laughs> in the movie, yeah. and I'm like, beautiful, perfect. Um, yeah, she's like the personification of somebody who's just, like, on complete and utter holiday mode, like a holiday gremlin that is just like, I'm going to 
tear shit up. <laughs> and then the second they get the bus home, they're like, okay, have you invoiced the builder for the work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the scene on the bus at the end is kind of like wins me back it's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But um, to go back to normality. Her, yeah, her character Gabby is an actress in the movie, and. I think at the start, Goth makes her very alluring and darkly funny, but there's something slightly off about mm. her. Like, just the way that the character always somehow knows exactly the right thing to say to James in almost a, a suspicious way, you know what I mean? And, you know, she says she's a fan of James's work and you get a sense that James likes being around her because she flatters him and gives him the warmth that he might not be getting from M. Leading to them well, hooking so up. Yeah, listen, listen. I don't think I'd ever have to see on screen. <laughs> yeah, 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 there were all the when I saw it in the cinema by myself. Um, in Cineworld, every myself. you get the room just suddenly like felt like clammy. <laughs> everyone was a bit like, "Are they whoa?" You yeah, know? there was like four people in my lighthouse screening on one day, and everyone just kind of like you could just hear the chairs turning. And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, we're going full European on this, like yeah, the yeah. full." Do you know what you don't know what happens? Yeah, okay. Do you? I, I read the plot on Wikipedia, oh, okay. but um, no, they just, just depict a very explicit sex act on yeah. the screen, and you're like, oh, oh, I, didn't I feel like that's a stunt dick. Like, <laughs> I hope a little, a little, a little of that, or you know, Tom Hank, she's giving, yeah, Tom Hank, censoring myself to completion, to completion, wow, and you see it all, damn, yeah. The whole shot. <laughs> the whole the shot. Whole shot. <laughs> um, Just one shot. Okay. I was like, wow, yeah. what a Monday this is. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'm actually not quite sure the movie needed that. <laughs> it's a bit... Uh, it's a, it's no, I was like, okay. I'm, like, I'm not prude or anything, but I was like, this is a bit like, kind of gas. No, yeah, it's funny. Like, I'm like, it's watching it'd be like in Possessor, you know, the way they say um, Christa Rabbit's character has IBS. In possessor, and then we and then, see we had actually we see him shooting himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, You're yeah. like, why? Come on! Like, oh yeah, it's not necessary. Really. Yeah, or spicy food. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically, after this happens, and after the execution of the first James clone, she sort of reveals herself as being this uh, monstrous hedonist to seems to take joy from other people's pain and at first the victims of this are like the civilians of Litoka, but eventually James winds up a target of her crew, and yeah, I just. I don't go too much in the specifics because the movie is uh, still out in cinemas, uh, so maybe some people haven't seen it. But um, there's a scene where Gabby and her gang hold up a busload of people at gunpoint. Oh, I love that. She's just electric. Like uh, she just is gutterly screaming insults and threats in that like natural high pitched voice of hers, <laughs> and um, she shouts, "Members of the bus, <laughs> give us the coward James Foster, or I will come in shooting." He's a spoiled bedwetter and he'd sell his own mother for horse meat to save himself. <laughs> and then James comes out and she laughs and goes, Yeah, Jamesy, come on. Like he's a dog and then yeah. later she puts him on a leash. <laughs> and then there's that other amazing scene where... Um, God's I feel get- like that whole section, like that one scene, that one piece of dialogue, Cronenberg was like, we have to use your real voice. I know. Like, exactly. the, the whole character is around her, like, centered in her actual voice for this one minute. She's riding on the hood of the car, yeah. being driven slowly, drinking wine from the bottle, eating fried chicken while waving a gun around. And she's just like berating Skarsgård with insults. And he's like walking on ahead. Like it's, it's, oh, it's honestly worth the price of admission. they were getting the fried chicken. I was like, true. I, I didn't see like a KFC book. through bucket, the drive-thru, you know. he's leading the charge and she's like, I'll he's have. He's gotten the leash. 12 pieces, <laughs> bit of gravy. Go, Jamesy! Yeah. yeah. I will say though, I, I, I quite like Infinity Pool. I just, I don't, I like it less than Antivar and Possessor. And I think kind of one of the reasons I have, problems I have with the movie is that like, 
the character of Gabby seems to just radically change her personality and how she behaves with James specifically like a bunch of times over the course of the movie and I think the first two times you get what's going on but then there's at least two more changes and I think again at that like three quarter mark I mentioned earlier I found myself a bit confused as to her motivations and her feelings about James overall yeah I was kind of like I don't actually I have no idea how this is going to end I'm not really particularly invested in how it's going to end I just like watching Mia Goth lose it on screen drinking wine eating chicken it's the journey, um, not the destination. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's the climb. I will say, I do think that <laughs> last shot of Infinity Pool is really beautiful in terms of like how it's set up and everything like that. But I also think it's kind of like narratively, it's a bit like empty. Yeah. Just like the actual the like visuals of the scene are really like Yeah, memorable. like there was a couple of like halfway through when she's doing the, I don't know, the smoky bowl thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that her, was yeah. a great sequence. But then, yeah, they're just like they're really beautiful, like kind of orgy hallucinogenic shot and it's like oh great this is all lovely then they just keep doing it and it's like I've, we've already seen this before. we don't need to see more and more people not in the hallucinogenic bit do that smoky bowl and just start riding like it's kind of like okay it gets a bit repetitive I, I, with the mask and stuff and I kind of didn't like how the masks are so similar to the thing in Possessor <clears throat> I know yeah. it was a nice callback but I was like oh it kind of feels like are they in the same universe? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, also, I work with someone who had a whole theory about what the... He thought that the masks were going to be made out of human skin. And I was a bit disappointed that that wasn't the case. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of did have that kind of quality. Yeah. But, um... He was like, "It's they're, the masks are made of the clones. And I was like, well, that, that's <laughs> that true. That's great, really yeah. cool. More but then it isn't that. It's just like, there's a festival happening in Latoga. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um... But I say, like, that's that's more like Brandon Cronenberg's script than, like, God's problem. Like, um, I, ju- I, I really loved her ability to, like, be able to play, you know, the alluring seductress, the vacation friend from hell. And also, even how she commits to that part in the movie where it goes to, like, a more abstract art house horror place, mm-hmm. where which I don't really understand. But I'm like, she's really going for it. You're like, okay. And um, also, I somehow, you somehow really buy her being so imposing that she has Alexander Skarsgård, like, herring in fear, even though he's probably got, like, half a foot on her. And, you know, played the Northman and like, yeah. Tarzan, you know? Yeah, it's just that weird physicality that she has in, like, all these roles where she mm. looks so little and so kind of frail with this, with her voice the way it is. And then she just screams her head off and yeah. she's so imposing. Credit to Skarsgård, too, because he, he's just, he's one of the most beautiful actors in Hollywood and is just so committed to, like, destroying his, like, yeah, <laughs> image. Yeah. Like, he just constantly is playing <laughs> reprehensible people. And I love it every time. Brave man. Um, do you, will we get into Emma? Yeah, sure. Let's, uh take a hard handbrake turn yeah. Emma Emma Woodhouse played by ha- Anya Taylor-Joy is handsome clever and rich with a comfortable home and happy disposition seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her until her governess Miss Taylor played by Gemma Whelan marries Mr Weston played by Rupert Graves and Emma decides that she must become a matchmaker to amuse herself and fixates on Harriet Smith played by Mia Goth much to the concern of her friend and unacknowledged crush George Knightley played by Johnny Flynn Know you the Martins, Miss Woodhouse of Abbey Mill Farm? I know that they are tenant farmers they rent their farm from Mr Knightley They were ever so kind to me this summer when I went away, Mrs. Martin was so very kind as to send Mrs. Goddard a beautiful goose. The finest goose Mrs. Goddard had ever seen, she said. The Martins are of precisely the order of people with whom I feel I can have nothing to do. A degree or two lower might interest me. If they were very poor, I might hope to be useful to them in some way, but a farmer can need none of my help and is therefore as much above my notice as he is below it. 
Mr. Robert Martin went three miles one day to bring me walnuts because he knew how fond I was of them. I believe he's very clever. He understands everything. Come. After tea, we shall call on my dear Mrs. Weston. We promise we should be seeing one another every day. <laughs> so, uh, it's unfortunate that Goth's were, Goth's work isn't that varied in terms of genre, barring a few outliers, mm. because she is quite good at playing the charming but dim best friend in Emma. <laughs> um, and Harriet, Harriet is a girl who's been raised sort of just above poverty, but always on the edge of falling into it. She's an illegitimate daughter with an unknown father who resides in a boarding house for girls and has been raised to please everyone around her because any, any upset might see her fall over that edge into uh, destitution. And despite Emma's desire to make a match with a man of means for her, Harriet is in love with Robert Martin, uh, played by Connor Swindles, a farmer who rents from Mr. Knightley. And that ultimately creates and informs the central conflict of the film, which is the will-they-won't-they they, uh, relationship between Emma and Mr. Knightley. Um... Harriet is in love with Mr. Martin but doesn't want to spoil her friendship with Emma by telling her plus she enjoys the attention given to her by the other eligible bachelors of Highbury such as uh, Mr. Knightley the scheming reverend Mr. Elton played by Joshua Connor Prince Charles from the Crown Ooh, well, yeah. or, the, alo- or the aloof Frank Churchill played by Callum Turner and Emma meanwhile sees herself as Harriet's saviour from poverty and will not let her settle for a man of low standing but relative means like Mr. Martin even though she knows deep down that Harriet is in love but because Emma is in denial about loving Mr. Knightley she can't allow Harriet out of her sight because then nothing will come between Emma and George Knightley and, and you know stop them from making goo goo eyes at each other which they already do mm-hmm. um, and Mr. Knightley meanwhile is the only one who can see the forest for the trees and knows that Harriet and Mr. Martin would be happy together but his sense of propriety and frustration with Emma's willful ignorance prevents him from taking action so it's all very complicated yeah it's so complex <laughs> and most of this complex situation plays through Harriet Smith so I, I see a lot of Pearl from Pearl in Goth's Harriet Smith the expressions are never as extreme and the dialogue is much more reserved and it never results in an uh, eight and a half minute monologue but that's only because everything works out for Harriet and there are moments where you see Harriet's feelings of frustration and desire boiling away but her sense of propriety and fear of falling even further down the pecking order keeps a tight lid on things and it's often just in a tightening grin or, fl- or a flutter of her eyelids but it's astounding how Goth can just communicate with such a small change in expression and the film is just really good as well it's, it looks like a way it's it like a polar opposite to Pearl though it's a nice companion piece yeah, other than X, yeah, yeah yeah it's sad it's she like, also dry humps the scarecrow and Emma <laughs> yeah <laughs> But she definitely has dreams of dry humping a farmer, which is yeah. close enough. Um, but it's, it's it's like it's like a Wes Anderson period drama. It's got it's like perfectly framed. All the music choices are great. Um, Bill Nye's fantastic. He's the, the consistent joke of him like, do feel a draft, and then <laughs> him having his like really put upon footmen just hang screens around him to stop things from chilling him from chilling him from drafts and <laughs> chilling him. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. There's an amazing. I watched Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I watched that recently so, as well. No way. Yeah, yeah. You know the bit because, where because you said it was so good. Did, yeah. did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. You know the bit where great. he's at the yeah you know, the psychiatric hospital and he's going more blankets, yeah. <laughs> more blankets. <laughs> Doctor, he needs fewer blankets. <laughs> he needs more, both more and less blankets. <laughs> um, the wrong kid died. The wrong kid died. <laughs> he's singing the song. It's so good. Um, Dewey ca- Cox died three minutes after this book. <laughs> God, <laughs> it's great. Uh, hugely recommended. Um, Check it out for the next one. <laughs> I uh, can I talk about Mayday. No, 
Okay, great. See, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I did these notes on the train. <laughs> so um, basically, and I'm, I'm going to keep it really brief because I watched this an hour ago. Um, so Grace Van Patten plays Anna, a um, homeless woman living in her car who has this uh, very stressful job working in a busy hotel. Her boss is uh, really awful. During a big storm and a wedding at the hotel in which the bride, played by Mia Goth, appears to be having cold feet. Anna has an accident and wakes up on a mysterious shoreline. Um, there, a, a gun-toting soldier named Marsha, also played by Mia Goth, takes her under her wing and introduces her to her cadre of fellow young female soldiers. Um, in this strange, dreamy reality, Marsha and her squad have waged war against men using radio broadcasts to lure pilots and sailors to their death, like um, a modern-day version of like the siren myth. Hmm. Mm. And basically, Anna is uh, torn between this reality and her previous life. and um yeah fantastic. it's good it's like this it's basically like art house sucker punch in that it's like about a woman retreating into fantasies to escape her troubled current reality okay but are the women in thigh highs and do they have katanas and do they fight giant robot samurai they don't then i'm, I'm not in <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's got good like themes you know what i mean who cares about the themes when there's <laughs> giant samurai um yeah but like it's like the comparison sugar bunch is more like you know she has the retreats of these dreams where she's like this ass kicking feminist essentially <laughs> and um i think it's a cool structure for a movie because like what's happening in the dream or what's happening on this like different plane of reality like the movie doesn't really uh, um is it ever really exactly clear mm. as to what is going on but um basically hence, hence any- the 50 percent on rotten tomatoes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they don't know things but uh an- anything can happen and you can sort of explain it away by being like oh dreams am yeah, right? dream, you know? yeah. and but also because there is this real world stuff kind of front loaded at the beginning there's like emotional stakes as well mm. Um, on the puzzle note uh, really beautiful to look at Um, it's really well acted Um, Mia Goth is really fun as this kind of sometimes very friendly sometimes very um, sinister gun-toning commander and um as I mentioned, like themes are interesting. Um, it is a debut feature, and it has that problem certain first-time films have from or first-time you know, efforts by directors. In that, like, it has a great idea and starts strong, but kind of runs out of steam, eventually becoming slightly abstract and meandering. Mm. Um, but I liked it overall, and I think if it got added to Netflix tomorrow, it would find an audience among a certain type of film fan that likes action and like cool iconography but also isn't put off by something that's going to be kind of surreal Um, so yeah I I would recommend it Um, I I don't think it should fall into obscurity which I feel like it sort of has yeah yeah, when did it come out? Uh, 2021 I think Um, I don't know when it came out in Ireland but it is on iTunes so people can check it out Um, available on all Apple products and we mentioned at the beginning but yeah what's next for Goth Maxine um, 
Blade um, could be in that Frankenstein movie you mentioned something else Sweet Dreams Sweet Dreams yeah some crime thriller Neve Algar is in it I'm not sure who's directing it but uh, hey with that cast yeah, yeah. Love me, love have you guys heard Algar. of the vampire film The Dark with Neve Algar From the Dark From the Dark from I think it's dark. called yeah, yeah it's on Shutter yeah. I think oh yeah, I never it seen sounds it. good yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Neve Algar like fighting a vampire in rural Ireland Neve Algar oh sorry I have seen that yes is it any good yeah it's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really good yeah there was like a whole phase. I think I actually watched it last May. Mm-hmm. Had a May Day marathon. It's gonna be May. <laughs> <laughs> but um, finally get to use that button. <laughs> <laughs> whole year, yeah. whole year. Uh, no, Nivagar really good in Cam with Horses, the Barry Cohen movie. Mm. Which if we do Barry, yet. if we do Barry Cohen part two, um, we can talk about that. What? I thought- I think it came out just, just after, after, after around, yeah. Yeah. Um, much like Emma. Yeah, mm. just just past the mm-hmm. just past the mark. I'll definitely watch Emma now. It was on the list. All of these films were on the list. I'm like, I actually don't have time. I spent an hour and twenty minutes trying to watch um, his, the house that she voice acts in, but it was okay. She got, is the worst. She doesn't have much. It's impression. beautiful animation, but like it's kind of it's a bit slow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I was hooked over. I was like, I can't do yeah, this right yeah. now. This high pitch voice. <laughs> Um, uh, sorry, Mia. Yeah, we love Any you. Other day, yeah, yeah, any other day. Yeah. Um, rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Email I know the face pod at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to us. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you love I know the face, please consider donating five euro a month to us through Heads to Plus, where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. We're recording another one in the coming weeks. Mm. Um, Katie, Anton, you'd like to plug? No, just my genius. No, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you sure? Nothing? I, yeah, I, yeah, I'm uh, good. The, blog's kind of dead so I need to redo that again True. let's get back into listen check groove. out uh, the old posts yes um, and <laughs> live at the Film Fiend archive exactly <laughs> the archive Andrew where can people find more of your work you can find me at the Heads of Gaming section where we talk about what we play why we play and how we play it and at the blog Fortnite Frights on WordPress where we talk about where, where, where we where I talk about um, the most influential horror movie of every year starting from 1920 we're hmm, this Friday it's Son of Ingagi Oh wow! First African American yes. horror movie, yeah, nineteen forty. Yeah, I've never heard of this. I've got to read that yeah, blog. Um, you can check me at Jodadi. See you later, Cinefall. Bye bye. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.